0: And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. And we're going to continue a series, this is week three, of our series called You Asked For It. And this is a series where you provide the content. So you ask any question about any topic that you want in any way. What we try to do each week is answer a couple of those and see what the Bible has to say about them. So it can be a personal issue, relationship issue, like a moral question, or a personal thing, or a thing from the Bible. Which is, uh, we're going to have one question about the Bible today, and then one question about sort of how it translates into this, into our life now. The same sort of topic with the second question. Uh, So today we're talking about prophets. Talk about prophets, one in the Bible, and then prophets today, what do we do about that? Is that even a real thing, and how do we know, and that, that sort of thing. So that's what we're going to look at today, one, one question about a prophet then, and one about prophets now. So the first question is an interesting one, so let's jump right into it. It should be pretty simple today, pretty, pretty cut and dry, pretty easy peasy. First question is, was Jonah really swallowed by a whale? That's a good question. And it, but the answer is not as obvious as you might assume, and I'm going to try to explain why that is, but first, in case you're not familiar with the story, let me just briefly mention that. So Jonah is a prophet mentioned in the Old Testament, and he basically, it's four chapters, the book of Jonah is very short, you can read it like half an hour, it's a pretty neat story. He's called by God to go to preach to the, the city of Nineveh, they are not God's people, they are outsiders to, the, to the, their faith, but he goes on a mission to preach to them, judgment is coming if you don't repent. And so he decides, I don't want to do that, so he runs and goes the other direction. But how many of you know you can't outrun God? Jonah finds this out. He ends up going on a boat, headed in the opposite direction. This boat comes into a huge storm. And after some discussion, he realizes, or he admits, and the other crew members realize, this is your fault. You're running from your God, and he's punishing you, and we're going to be collateral damage. So basically they draw straws to see who's going to jump over the, the boat. And Jonah's like, well, I guess I'm going to jump over the side of the boat. He jumps over the side of the boat, and the storm stops. So pretty cool there. And then this huge fish or a whale, a great fish, however you want to translate like that, swallows him. He's inside this fish for three days. And then in this time, in, in, you he know, has nothing else to do, so he decides to pray. And uh, he basically repents for running from God's call. And the fish, it says, spits him out, regurgitates him onto the shore of Nineveh. It's like he got a fast track there. Maybe not how he would have wanted, but that's how he got there. He goes and he preaches uh, judgment. If you don't repent, the people repent. So there's no judgment. And then Jonah's pretty upset about that, and that's how the story of Jonah ends. So he started out running away from God, and then at the end he's grumpy with God. So he didn't really learn his lesson, I don't think, that well. So the, the question, though, is did this story actually happen? Was Jonah really swallowed by a whale? Did this fantastical story, is it true? Now, about this, there's a lot that we don't know. There are some things about this that we cannot know. But there are four things I want to look at very quickly. Four things that we do know about Scripture in general to help us try to answer this question as best we can. All right? So, four things about this that will help us maybe answer this question as best we can. The first thing we know is this we know. Jonah is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. So this is not the only place that this person is mentioned. So in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, he's in one other verse in the Bible. So it doesn't have a lot of other play in there, but he's in there. He's listed as a prophet who made a prophecy that in 1 Kings 14 has just been fulfilled. That's all we know. We don't know exactly what he said or how it was written down or when it was shared. We just know that King Jeroboam II is who's the king of Israel this time. Uh, something happens, and then it lists, sort of in a parenthetical sort of statement, oh, this happened, Jonah said this was going to happen years before, and it happened. So at the very least, we know to some degree that Jonah did exist outside of the story of Jonah. All right? We have other evidence to corroborate his existence. The second thing we know about this story, about Jonah, is we know that Jesus refers to Jonah. So the other corroboration we have about Jonah and his existence and the story in the Old Testament of Jonah is Jesus references Jonah and this particular story. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 verse 38 through 40, Jesus speaking here says this. Well, it's setting up for Jesus to speak. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus adds to the plausibility of this story actually happening. He's another reference point. He doesn't even just reference Jonah the prophet. He references the story in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus would have been very familiar with the Old Testament. He would have had most, if not all, of it memorized. That's why he could say these verses at random about any circumstance, because he knows it by heart. So he would know about Jonah. What we'll get to in a second, though, is what he knew about Jonah, and how he, would, how he may have read this story as well. But what's interesting here is we see both a contrast between Jonah and Jesus, and then a comparison that Jesus makes. So think about it for a second. The contrast between Jonah, the story that we know in the Old Testament, and Jesus's Jonah is a reluctant prophet. He runs from God's call on his life for a time. But Jesus, however, is what we call the suffering servant. He willingly left the glory of heaven to come to earth to live among us as one of us to then die on our behalf. He willingly laid down his life. So we see the immediate contrast here between this reluctant prophet and the suffering servant. But Jesus here in Matthew 12 makes this comparison, the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in really the depths for three days and three nights, he said, so also me, he says, the son of man, he's not himself, will be in the ground, dead, buried for three days. But just, and he doesn't say this, but here's the rest that's, you know, implied. Just as Jonah was regurgitated from the depths. Jesus is also saying, I'm going to have a similar ending to that story, that part of my life. I'm not going to stay in the depths. It's three days, and I'm out of here, guys. Three days, and death can't hold me any longer than that. So he makes this comparison, but also there's this contrast. But it is interesting, and it makes it a little bit more complicated. Jesus says that this is a sign, the sign of Jonah. is going to be a sign or a symbol for what's going to soon happen to me. Here's why that word is difficult. It's the third thing that we know about the Bible. We know the Bible contains different types of literature. And so the Bible is not a book, right? It's a book of books. It's it's a compilation of books. That's why we talk about the book of Jonah or the book of 1 Kings, right? And within these books are different types of literature. So a lot of the Old Testament is what we call narrative. Just a story that happened, here's when it happened, here's why it happened, here's how it happened, here's who was involved, here are the events. It's a a narrative story. Most of the New Testament are letters. So you don't read it the same way. You wouldn't read a letter the same way as you would just a historical work, right? You read them differently. There's a different uh, impulse there. There's a different reason behind that. You have to look at it differently. There's poems and songs. There's wisdom literature, proverbs. So there's different types of literature. And what we have to do when we approach the Bible is understand what exactly am I reading because it will inform us how to read it. Just like you would, would, again, read a letter the same way you read a biography. You approach them differently. You come to them differently. It's the same thing with the Bible. We have to see what we're reading, know what we're reading, what type of literature it might be to then apply it correctly. So the question, though, is what type of literature is the story of Jonah, the book of Jonah? It seems like a narrative, right? It it, it appears to be. But there are problems with this narrative. Let me go through some of them, and then we'll talk about how to solve those problems. We don't know who the author is. You might say, well, of course it was Jonah. Well, it's not written in first person. So it could have been Jonah writing in third person, much like we attribute the first five books of the Bible to Moses. He didn't write in first person. But he's also not, it's not, the first five books of the Bible are not just about Moses, are they? A lot of it is not, he doesn't, he's, it's way before him. So it would make more sense for Moses to not write that in first person because he's writing a larger story, whereas this story of Jonah is just about one instance in the life of one guy. And it's not written first person, so we have no way to know who wrote it. And that's not a huge problem, but it's just, we have to understand that. Uh, the this, this story of Jonah only loosely references a historical event. So there is some other, even extra biblical, some uh, about when Nineveh sort of has a spiritual renewal, we would attribute that to the story of Jonah, right? He goes, he says, repent, they repent, they're spared, they see a change in their society, but it's very loose. There's no date given in this story. There's no time period given in this story. We don't know anything about those details that would be normally in a narrative. There's no larger context in the story of Jonah to give us, okay, where, how, when did this exactly happen? And usually with the narrative, there's some sort of spiritual implication, national implication, because God did this thing, we read about this event for a purpose, to motivate us to do this, or to see God in this way, or to respond to him. This is just a story about a dude. There's really, now we can pull, and we have, even here, we did a series on Jonah, this story uh, a couple years ago. There are truths you can pull from, but they're not obvious there in the text. You have to kind of pull them out and apply them. So that makes it more difficult. Um, And other than the one verse in 2 Kings, and other than this one scripture from Jesus, there's no other corroboration about this person or this event about this person. So just to say, oh, it's a narrative that definitely had to happen with no question. There's a lot of question here. When you dig into the surrounding context of the text, it's not just that cut and dry. Now, we can say it is, but it's really not. So then the other possibility that I'll put forward to you is it's possible, uh, I won't say, I will, I'll, 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 this is the one time I will give you my personal opinion on, on a question. Normally I don't do that. but this one I will. I'll tell you, you'll find out why in a minute. It's possible that the story of Jonah is more like a parable than an actual historical event. Okay? Again, the, the problems that we just talked about with it being an obvious ...thing that had to happen, right? It's just not that clear. So it's possible that it could be a parable. And you would say, well, Jesus used his story. Jesus used a lot of parables all the time. It's the main way that he communicated. It's the main way he got a point across. Was he told a story, didn't really happen, but you can pull meaning from it. So for him to say, oh, there's the sign of Jonah, right? That could lead you to believe maybe he viewed that. Maybe the, the first century Jews viewed the story of Jonah as more of a parable. It's possible. It's, I'm just saying it's possible, okay? Based on the facts that we've already outlined, it's very possible. And it would have the same effect as the parables of Jesus, a story with a, a deeper meaning. Now, there, there are many objections to the parable theory, and the main one is, well, whoa, 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 Stephen, whoa, wait a second. It's a slippery slope, man. Like, if you're saying that this one story didn't have to happen, then what about all the other ones? Right? And we'll get to a fourth point that kind of helps this argument out a little bit. But I would just say that's not necessarily the case. A lot of the other events that are narrative, there are dates involved in those stories. Even things that happen that don't make any logical sense. There are dates and times and names and nations that are named. There's one guy and two towns that are named in this story. And that's all the information that we have to go off of. So it is a bit unique in that respect. There's no claim, like it's not I, Jonah, am writing this, that this actually happened, there's none of that either. There's no claim that this story had to happen or that it really did happen, okay? Uh, there's no other chronological info, we already talked about that. And it's also what I would call, this story is disconnected. So even the other narrative stories fit within a framework that flow in a story. Jonah just kind of is there. It's just kind of, whoop, there's a random story about a very minor prophet, One event in like a week of his life, that's all we know about. It It doesn't flow within a greater theme of this thing happened and then that thing happened and he's in the middle, or this thing caused another thing that deals with Israel. That's not really the case at all. So, it it would be my view that if you view this as a parable, that would not, it still wouldn't affect the validity of the Bible, because again, Jesus, who we are all here to worship, right, used parables predominantly as his method of teaching, and there are so many things that we can pull from those stories that did not happen, but he used them to illustrate points in a very interesting and clear and entertaining type of way. So it wouldn't affect the validity of Scripture or even the inspiration of Scripture. Because just as God inspired Luke to write down a bunch of parables that Jesus told, God would have also inspired some other author, we don't know who it is, to include this story of Jonah, even if it didn't happen, to prove some other kind of spiritual point. Okay? Okay? So you can go with that, and I I don't think you're going to undercut the validity or the inspiration of Scripture. But here's the fourth thing that maybe turns that just a little bit. Here's the fourth thing that we do know about the Bible. We know the Bible records many supernatural events. So what you would say is, the Bible records many supernatural events, why not this one? Why not? That, That would be the argument here. Because again, the Bible is a book of books. It's not one book, it's a compilation. What we do know is that the Bible does have a storyline through it, and it has a main character through it. The main character is not you. The main character is not me. The main character is God. He's, this is a story about him, him explaining himself to us, showing his character, his attributes, his behavior, the things that he does, right? So it's a, this is a book of books about a supernatural being, so it just stands to reason that it would be full of supernatural events. If God's trying to explain who He is, He's going to try to make it as easy as possible to explain as much of Himself as He can. But we can't understand it all. We can't wrap our brains around everything that God tries to tell us all the time, right? Can anybody do that? If you can, please talk to me after after we're done here, and I want to know your secret. But typically, we can't. We it's ain't. God even says, "My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are greater than your thoughts." He even says, "Okay, you can try really hard." You might get really close, but there's still going to be something about me, some things about me you're never going to know. So if this is a book about a supernatural being, it would make sense that there are supernatural events. And many of them are found within narrative stories. Many of even, let me give you a great example, The Life of Jesus. Okay, there are four first-hand account narrative stories about Jesus. And, I mean, page after page after page, Verse after verse after verse with Jesus is a supernatural event after a supernatural event. Leading up to the one that he talked about in Matthew, the, referencing Jonah, the resurrection from the dead. So this is in the Bible. All the things, especially about Jesus, are in the Bible. Uh, and they are they are corroborated. Unlike the story of Jonah, there are multiple eyewitnesses, written accounts, and even... Uh, outside of the Bible historical evidence of this person, Jesus. Now, what you think about him and if you worship him or not, that's up to you. But there is enough evidence about this person, what he did, what he said, that it can't that can't be explained away. Okay? And here's what it comes down to. Uh, I, think, I think the argument for Jonah would be this statement. Just because it cannot be fully explained, doesn't mean it didn't necessarily happen. Because that's true with all of the Bible. The things that I we can't prove, the things that we will never be able to understand. We can't just say, well, it didn't happen because I didn't see it. Well, that doesn't make sense. None of the Bible is because You didn't see any of it. So we can't use that line of argument at all. So, was Jonah really swallowed by a whale? Based on all of that, here, here's kind of where I would stand. Now, you, there are a couple of options here, but here's where I would lean. I would lean uh, that the story of Jonah, as it's written, probably did happen in the way it's written down. Okay? That, that's where I stand. But I would also say, if someone comes to me with these arguments and says, you know, I would lean more on the parable thing, I would say, all right, I can see that. Again, it doesn't affect my belief in the validity of Scripture or the inspiration of Scripture or the infallibility of Scripture or the truth of Scripture. Right? It doesn't affect any of that. None of we just talked. That's how we went through that. So even if you're leaning on, you know what? Yeah, you know, I've always kind of struggled with that one. I'm not sure if it happened. It's fine. I think I think there's there's enough room for that to be a possibility here. Even though I would say. I would lean into camp uh, that, that it did happen. We even saw a story a couple months ago of a guy who claimed to be swallowed by a whale, a huge one, somewhere in the northeast. So again, same with Jonah. No one else, some other dude saw it, you know, claimed to have seen this, and there's no pictures, there's no photographic evidence, there's no, no other, you know, oh, this happened, sure it did. Right, right. But sure, you could say that it happened, you could say it didn't, it's fine. With Jonah, I think you could also do the same thing. I would lean that it did, but there is that room where what someone could say, it's not an actual story, but there is spiritual truth to gain from that, and it's still inspired in Scripture for a reason, okay? So, that's about the prophet from Scripture, a prophet then. Let's talk about prophets now. The second question that we're going to look at today uh, is maybe even less controversial than the one I just talked about, right? And that's this. Are there prophets in today's society? And if so, how do we know if they're true? Because you could say, "Yeah, there's prophets, but they're all false. Well, how do I know? You know, that's the question. Are there prophets in today's society, and how do we know if they are true? Let's look quickly uh, at sort of a survey of biblical prophets. That'll help us sort of get ourselves ready and gear for this checklist of if a prophet today, if they exist, uh, if they're real or not. So, the main question is, how did ancient Israel know if a prophet was false? The answer is, they died. In some tragic way, usually Deuteronomy 18, verse 20. God's speaking here. Not part of the law, but any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name or who speaks in the name of another god must die. So, if a prophet is true, he lives. That's how you know that he's real. That's sort of it's like two categories, not a third option here. Uh, now, it, I'll be I'll be fair. It is it, it is hard. It would be hard to know sometimes if a prophet was real. Because what if they say something's going to happen in 100 years? How are you going to know? Like, now, they could be shrugged dead if it, it's not real. But how do you know if, if they live a long life, it still doesn't happen, and then 30 years later, it does happen? And you're like, oh, wow, they were right. No one's alive to know that anymore, but who, who cares, right? But I will say two, two things I want to mention for a couple minutes here about the biblical prophets, then we'll get into prophets today, because it's the same sort of uh, checklist, if you will. The first thing is, it would have been dangerous to have been a false prophet in the Bible. It's a dangerous game to play. Obviously, if the penalty is death, you're risking everything here just to say whatever you feel like you need to say, whatever God tells you to say. It's a risky thing. There's a great example in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 28. So he's been prophesying, Jeremiah has, about the uh, coming Babylonian Empire. He says, they're gonna take over, you're gonna be their slaves, you're gonna become, they're gonna, you know, burn everything to the ground. And so to illustrate this, in in chapter 28, he wears this huge yoke around his neck. And he's saying that Babylon, this yoke represents the Babylonian empire. They're gonna come in and take you as their prisoners, as their slaves, and you're gonna be in exile for 70 years. Well, there happened to be another guy who claimed he was a prophet, his name was Hananiah. And he heard something different from God, he, so what he does, first of all, he touches another dude's yoke, which I'm not happy about that. Says so he takes the yoke off of Jeremiah and smashes it on the ground. I'm like, dude, that's foul. That's, you know, time out, like 15-yard penalty. You can't be messing with another dude's yoke, you know, his chain. You can't do that. So he takes the yoke and breaks it and says, no, what's just happened here, God's guilt. Yes, you'll be under the oppression of the Babylonians, but God's going to break that oppression in two years. So Jeremiah is saying seventy years. Hananiah says two years. Jeremiah has some thoughts about this, and here's what he says: Jeremiah twenty-eight fifteen. Then Jeremiah the prophet said to "Has not sent you? But the people believe your lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says: You must die. Your life will end this very year because you have rebelled against the Lord." Verse seventeen. Two months later, the prophet Hananiah died. It's dangerous to be a false prophet in biblical times. You can see that. Let me give you one more example. And I wasn't going to mention this, but I have to. 1 Kings 13 is a story that maybe you have never heard of before. Maybe you've breezed through it. Maybe you've read it a few times. But this is a story that I don't hear talked about very often. It's an obscure story, but it's really cool. It involves two prophets again. So the story is, there is a prophet. He's not named, which I think is interesting, a prophet from God, a true prophet, a real prophet. He goes before the king. Uh, so Israel has just, like the chapter before, has just split through their civil war, north and south. So this prophet goes to Jeroboam in the northern kingdom, and he he pronounces judgment on him. So and he's like right there in his face pronouncing judgment to the king. So it says Jeroboam tries to reach out his hand to the prophet, and it becomes paralyzed and withered. Basically, the prophet has like super. And so the king's like, oh, I'm so sorry, like, fix fast. you know? And so the prophet, he repents of his sin, and the prophet heals his hand, and he's back to normal. And so the king's like, whew, okay, this is good, you're a legit prophet, this is cool, hey, let's have dinner at my place. <laughs> really weird. And the prophet says, I can't because God has told me not to eat until I go back to where I came from and to go a different way than I came. So it's like, okay, fine. So the prophet's going back home. Meanwhile, another guy who says he's a prophet hears about what's happened, and he wants to meet this guy. He's like, this dude has magical power to meet this guy. And so he finds out where he is. He kind of meets him on the road and says, hey, I want to have dinner with you. Come to my place and let's hang out and let's eat. And the prophet says, well, no, God's told me I'm not allowed to eat or drink until I go back home and have to go a different way than I came. And the second prophet who stops him on the road says, oh, no, 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 but an angel gave me a message from God saying that you were to come and eat with me at my house. Notice the difference here. The first prophet says, God told me this. The second guy said, an angel told me that God told me this. There's a difference right there on that we'll talk about in a minute. So the first prophet says, okay, I guess if God told the angel to tell you that, then let's go. So they go to the second prophet's house and eat. While they're eating, the second prophet, who is not really a real prophet, is used by God to give a real prophecy to the first prophet. And he says, because you disobeyed what I told you to do, you're going to die. Nice, oh. right? And so they, somehow after this, they finish eating and hanging out. And then the guy leaves. And it says, on the way home, the first prophet who disobeyed God was mauled to death by a lion left in the street. So it's a dangerous thing to be a false prophet, right? We know that from Jeremiah and from Deuteronomy. It's also dangerous to listen to a false prophet, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> That's what we see here in 1 Kings 13. That's a a really neat story. I thought about doing a series sometime about like like R-rated Bible stories and including that one in there. You know, (laughs) mauled by a lion, that'd be kind of cool. So if you hear that one again in a couple years, you know it's been rolling around in the old brain there. So we know it's dangerous to listen to a false prophet or to be one. So let's look at a couple of descriptions about prophets from the Bible. Then we'll transfer those in the current day situations. Ezekiel 13. So the prophet Ezekiel gives us a description of false prophets. Here's what he says, chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Again, notice, it's not Ezekiel saying, this is what I think or this is what I say. He says, this is what the Lord, the sovereign Lord says. What sorrow awaits the false prophets who are following their own imaginations and have seen nothing at all. O people of Israel, these prophets of yours are like jackals digging in the ruins. There's two things here I going to point out very quickly. First, he says... They're following their own imaginations. False prophets are saying what they think, what they feel, uh, and their words are not confirmed, is what we would say, which we'll get to again in a minute. Even short-term or long-term, it's just their own thinking, their own feelings that's false. And then he says they're like jackals digging in the ruins. So what we see here is Ezekiel is giving this imagery of someone who's trying to gain off the loss of others. Like a jackal is a wild animal digging in ruins. There's nothing there. They're trying to get what little they can from the loss of other people. They're taking advantage of others. You could call them a con man, if you will. I think that's what Ezekiel's trying to say here. False prophets are con men. They're trying to get the better people who are vulnerable or weak or suffered loss to manipulate them. Again, we'll talk about that here in a second. But one more description from Scripture. Jesus gives us a description of false prophets in the Beatitude or in the, the Sermon on the Mount of all places. It's kind of maybe a weird place to put this, but he's trying to cover everything, every topic in this sermon, uh, Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 7, 15 through 20, Jesus says this, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. He says you can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Now, this scripture is typically used in a very broad way about people in general, right? It's usually how we use this or hear it used. You can tell whether someone's honest by how they live. You can tell if someone's trustworthy by how they behave. You can tell if someone's a real Christian or not a real Christian by how they live. But in the immediate context here, Jesus is talking about prophets. You can judge what they say by what they do, what they say by what happens, what they speak by how they live. So let's get back to the question and kind of pull these in to today. The first part of the question is, are there prophets in today's society? I would say yes. Now, we use similar reasoning as we used last week with tongues. There's no description or prescription in the Bible that prophecies cease. Now, there is a verse that says prophecy will cease. That's talking about after all this on this planet is done. Up in heaven, we don't need prophecy because we're going to be there with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, there won't be any need to find out what God is to say through anybody because he can say it directly to us for all eternity. But for now, yes, I believe prophecy is real. I believe prophets are real. There are, let me quickly mention, two, there are two views about what a prophet is. The first one is a more conservative view, where they would say anyone who says anything from God is a prophet. So they would include someone like me as a prophet. I'm not going to put that on my business card moving forward, okay? That's, that's not card. what I'm saying, you know. I've got to get a new business card, put a prophet on there, you know. You can have that view, and that's fine. But the, I think that maybe the, the more zoned-in view there would be someone who predicts events or predicts future events, or has sort of a supernatural download from God, a timely word from God, whether it's information or knowledge or, or foretelling or forthtelling, whatever it is. So I believe that that, that, w- that also does exist. I think that's predominantly what we're talking about, not just anyone who speaks on behalf of God, but someone who does it in a very specific way. But how do we know if a prophet is true or not, other than them dying or living, Right? <laughs> There's four things I'll mention quickly, and we'll get through it pretty quickly, and then then we'll finish up this question. So, how do we know a prophet is true? The first thing that's obvious is that a true prophet's words are consistent with Scripture. A true prophet's words are consistent with Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. Paul says, do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. So, any prophecy, just like we talked about tongues last week, Any prophecy is going to sound kind of weird, right? It's going to seem a little odd. But the encouragement here is don't automatically ignore it just because it seems weird or odd. Paul says, test it. You would say, based on what? Based on what God's already said, which is Scripture, which is the Bible. If God's going to say something now, it's not going to be anything different uh, at at the the, uh, bottom level than what he's already said in Scripture. Okay, so we'll we'll talk about that more in detail in a second. So there's a difference between sounding weird and sounding off. That's what I'm trying to get at. It may be weird, but you're going to know if it sounds really, really out there. Let me give a couple examples. Uh, Some things that may sound weird, but maybe aren't off. Maybe someone gives a word to you, God wants you to turn down a job offer. Like, how did you know that I had a job offer? I didn't tell you that. And why would I turn down this job offer? That sounds weird, but Paul would say just... Kind of leave it in the back of your brain don't don't brush it off but test it and just see what what may happen from that it's, it may be weird or uncomfortable but it's not necessarily unbiblical or maybe god gives the word to somebody says hey you're healed i don't know i don't know what's going on i have no idea but i just believe god told me that you are healed and you're like mm, i don't know about that you know so you know don't like stop taking your meds and you know don't cancel your doctor's appointments or anything i wouldn't do that but say on your next appointment I would be maybe looking for a clean result, right? If, if this is true and legit, it may sound weird, but we're going to kind of test that. We're going to keep it in the back of our brain. However, there are some things that some prophets might say that are just too out there. Like if someone says, God told me to tell you to start serving Zorp the Lizard King. <laughs> you would say, wait a second. Is that in the book of Jonah? Did I miss something? No, I'm not. Those are go together. It's just something you can just say, I'm not even going to think about that. King, I don't know where that came from. God gave me that, guys, by the way. <laughs> or something else. If, if someone says, you know what? God told me it's okay if you sleep with your neighbor's wife. God said you have permission in my name. And I'm like, I, I don't think that's how that works, prophet. Are you, are you feeling okay because you're about to die? You know what, that kind of thing. So some things may seem weird, but there's a difference between weird and off. Between strange and wrong. So Paul says to test those things. Again, God will never tell anyone anything that doesn't align with what he's already said in Scripture. And I would also quickly say, also, look for God to speak to you directly. Like, don't wait for some mystical guy in a robe or on the street corner or a random person to come speak something to you. Like, you, we want God to do that to us directly. Like, skip the middleman. Now, the prophets are real, they're fine, they're good. But, man, I want the direct access that I have available to me. So then if someone does come to you with something and it doesn't jive with what God's already said to you, I'm like, mm, I'm not even going to put that on the really, really, really back shelf over there and kind of go with what I feel like God's already said to me. Okay, So we want to seek God's instruction more than man's words, is what I'm trying to say there. But it should be consistent with Scripture. Here's the second thing. A true prophet's words should encourage righteous behavior and discourage unrighteous behavior. Now you might say, no duh. But this more deals with the purpose of prophecy, the intent or the scope of the message specifically. So typically, in a positive sense, a prophecy would underscore virtuous behavior. It would encourage maybe a righteous decision that you're thinking about making. Hey, that's the right thing. God says you have a green light. Go for it. Or maybe after you make a correct or positive choice, maybe a prophecy would come encouraging you in that you know, undergirding that, praising that sort of decision that you made uh, from God. If you're questioning, is God okay with that? Maybe God's going to send someone to you saying, yes, God said that was the thing to do. Good job, good on you, right? Or in a negative sense, prophecy can be a warning against unrighteous behavior. And sometimes it can come with specific consequences. Like, God told me, if you do that, this will happen. That, that, that happens, okay? Prophets, I think, hear from God and can hear from God in that way. Or then they can condemn... Uh, incorrect, negative, or destructive behavior. That's a lot. Even the, the Bible, the Old Testament specifically, is a lot of either one of those. It's mainly the second one. You guys blew it. Destruction's coming. Judgment's coming. Buckle up, let cup That's a lot of what the Old Testament <laughs> prophets say. That's a lot of what that is. However, it's important to understand that a true prophet's message won't flip these, as we've kind of already indicated. A prophet from God will never discourage righteous behavior And a a prophet from God will never encourage unrighteous behavior, like to sleep with your wife and your neighbor's wife sort of example there. So if if that's part of what is is going on there, we we can see that obviously. A true prophet's words encourage righteous behavior and discourage unrighteous behavior. Here's the third thing that's important. Jesus focused on this a lot. The third thing about prophecy today, a true prophet's life, conduct, and character are consistent with Scripture. And that's what Jesus, again, focuses on in Matthew 7. You'll know a tree by their fruit. You'll know if what they say is true by how they live, apart from what they are saying. So there's three things here I'll mention again quickly. uh, Three things to look out for in this life, conduct, and character aspect. If a prophet always has a word for others, but they show terrible personal judgment, I would stay away from that person. God's got a word for you. Well, why do you keep doing the same stupid stuff over and over in your own life? Like, maybe God should talk to you, and he'll talk to me, and we'll just leave it at that. You know, that's, again, that sounds harsh, but that, that's what I would tell you to do. You want to look at the life, conduct, and character of that person. I don't care what you say God told you to say. If your life is looking like, man, this is not right, then I'm staying away. The second thing, then, would be if they, in a similar way, if they don't practice what they preach, right, I would tend to stay away from them. That's really how cults be, at, right? I'm the leader of this movement from God. I have all these rules for my followers, but not for me. Like, that's the definition of a cult. Like, you guys can't have any wives, but I can have all of them. That's what a cult leader does. That's what a false prophet uh, w- would say. And that's what Ezekiel talks about when he talks about jackals in the ruins. You've got to see, man, this dude, man, this person's slimy. And this person just gives me the creeps. Not in like a spiritual way, like, oh, but like an ugh oh, kind of. Like, you can tell if they prey on the weak, if they pounce on the vulnerable, if they manipulate people with their speech, right? Because if God's going to say it, he'll be the one to convince you of it. The person speaking doesn't have to twist your arm. That's not, but sometimes a false prophet will try to do that. Oh, no, see, you can, if you look at it this way, if you turn your head sideways, what I'm saying makes total sense. They don't have to do the convincing if it's a true prophecy, now, this is true even, I would say, in the conservative view of prophets. Like, if you want to put me in that, which please, please don't. But if you want to put me in that category, like any church leader, there's a lot of descriptions in Paul's letters about what a church leader should look like. Their personal life should kind of look this way. They should kind of have these things in their personal life in order in order to instruct other people, right? So there's a lot of that going on there, too. So it does, it does uh, follow suit even in that conservative view of prophets. And then here's the third sign about life conduct and character is if that person can ever be questioned or corrected, like if if they can never ever have anyone tell them anything, like, oh no, I'm, I'm the prophet, you can't speak that to me. It's like, it's a bad sign. Like if, if that person can never be questioned, if you can never, well what about this? No, that's just what God said. It's like, oh, you know, I don't want to make a, I don't want to put a stamp on that, but I would just say stay away, that sort of thing. So life, conduct, and character are important when it comes to a modern-day prophet. All right, here's the fourth thing that we'll close on for just another minute, and it's this. And it's the obvious one. A true prophet's words will be fulfilled. That seems obvious as well, but sometimes it is difficult to judge. What if what they're saying sort of kind of happens? What if they get like a partial vision of this thing, and they share that with you, and then later on, you kind of, oh, I can see how that's true, but you're still not quite convinced. It's, it's kind of murky. It's kinda, there's a lot of gray area here. But usually, if it's real, if it's legit, it will make some kind of sense. It will confirm in your spirit that this is from God. I still don't quite understand it. I don't know when it's going to happen or how it's going to happen, but I just kind of sense peace about this message or word that I got from this person. And there are sometimes it's obviously wrong. My favorite example, I've used this before, but I'll use it again. I've got the cover of the book here to prove it's real. 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988. (laughs) (laughs) It's written by Edgar C. Uh, Wisnett, or his name should be Unwise Nut. (laughs) (laughs) He just got it wrong. Just got it wrong. Uh, And it's obvious. So that's not a source now that I'm going to trust. I'm sorry, Edgar. Not sorry. But it's just... It just one other thing, if you get it that wrong, it's just bad. It's just so bad. Uh, let me give you another personal example from, from my life. This is kind of murky, but it, it kind of goes. So when I was in college, my freshman year we were in a tra- I was in a traveling drama team. So we went to a church for several days, like a long weekend and we were doing some things around the church during the day and then on that Sunday service we did some skits and other things like that. But they were also having a special evangelist come for like three or four nights. And we got to go to those services in the night. So I remember, I think it was the, it was the next to the last night you we were there. At the very end of the night. And this goes, these they been going for hours and hours and hours, like old school stuff, right? So at the very end of the next to the last night, the speaker, the main speaker, he said these words. And I quote, tomorrow night in our meeting. All nine gifts of the spirit will be in operation, or I am not a true prophet. You know what I said? Challenge accepted. That's what I said. I said, game on, brother. And again, this is me being an 18-year-old, stupid, immature kid. And I'm, but I'm still kind of, that still in me. I would probably still think that, and I bring my notepad to write down like I did the next night, if I could count all nine. Because if not, I'm calling you out. You know, it's like, I still have that in me. I'm a little more mature now, a little more reserved now, but that's still in me. So I literally, the next night, again, this is bad on me, bad job Stephen, but I was not into it for the right reasons. I was watching. I was keeping track. I was counting. I had tally marks on a piece of paper trying to find which ones I could see. Here's the thing. That claim is unfalsifiable. You, uh, like, you can't tell. Like, what if someone sitting next to somebody else way over there gives a word of knowledge? Well, I didn't see it happen, so from my vantage point, all nine gifts weren't in operation like he claimed they were going to be. But, but it was, so how do I know that? So, to, to kind of make this story, it's just a fun story, I like to tell it when I can. It's kind of messy because he made this claim that no one can prove or disprove. But he, he's the one that said, he's the one, that's what I was come up to, he's the one that said, If it doesn't happen, I'm not a real prophet. So, was he not a real prophet? Uh, You know, 20 years ago I would have said, he's not. Right now I would say, I would just really like stiff arm this dude if he tried to give me a word from God. Because he's the one that made the claim, this is going to happen, or, or, dot, dot, dot. I didn't put those words in his mouth, he said it. So that's just one of those things where uh, I'd be hesitant on some of these moving forward. But in the end, the proof's in the pudding, right? When it comes to prophecy, either what this person said happens, or it doesn't and we, try, we have to get through the murkiness of that as best we can. So, I believe prophets are for today, but their words should be consistent with Scripture, their life should be consistent with Scripture, they should have the correct sort of messaging in what they're saying, and it, there should be confirmation in the outcome. If God really said this, then it will really happen. And that's what we want to look at. So when we kind of bring these two together as we close, here's, here's the main idea with prophecy, with prophets. Whether we are reading a biblical ancient prophet in the Bible or whether we are hearing from a modern-day, current prophet in society, our heart should be that we hear God correctly and then that we follow him correctly. Whether it's this thing from an ancient text in the Old Testament, I want to read it correctly and then follow God correctly through that. If it's I get a word from some prophet, like today, outside, or one of you has a word from me, I want to hear it correctly and follow correctly. That's the whole point of prophecy, whether it's ancient or modern, whether it's then or now, that I hear what God's trying to say to me, and then I follow it and follow him in the right way.